Good morning. I'd like to first uh, welcome my guests and visitors. We're glad to have you here with us today. I'm glad to see the crowd and the, as well as uh, the members as well here this morning. Uh, always good to come together and to worship the Lord, and it's good to spend time studying from the, the Word of the Lord. Today I have a, a sermon I'd like to present to you all today, and it's, uh, it's uh, what I would kind of classify as a Christian living sermon. It's talking about how we should live our lives as Christians to a degree. And at first we may think that, well... It may not apply to everybody, but it trust me, it will, and I'm going to get into that. Um, you also kind of understand where I come sermon comes from. You understand what's been going on at the church. Today I'd like to talk about leading like Christ. Uh, you know, I've done a series of sermons. I did several sermons where I talked about do, living like Christ and different aspects of Christ. And today I'd like to do leading like Christ. And for those who are, are guests or visitors, I am one of the men recently ordained as elder here. And, and so... This study and this lesson was for me. It was a study for me. It was something I wanted to do for me. And uh, But when you talk about leading, you know, a lot of times we think of maybe politicians, we think of bosses at jobs, we think of people, elders, and maybe deacons at church. But, you know, we all have a responsibility to the lead, whether it's the those offices and things I talked about at the job. Maybe it's the dad at the home. Maybe it's the mom at the home. Both of those have a responsibility to the lead. Maybe you're an older sibling. That is a, a, a position there of, of lead because you're an example unto your younger siblings. Maybe you're just a, maybe not just, maybe you're an uncle or an aunt or somebody like that. That also is a position of, of leadership to some degree because people are looking up to you. People are, are looking for you to your advice. They're looking at you in that way. Or maybe you're just uh, nothing else. Maybe you're leading somebody to Christ. But there's always going to be times when we're going to have at some point a position to lead. So I think this can apply to just about anybody. I think it doesn't necessarily have to just apply to, to elders or deacons or bosses or, or even the parents. But it can apply to anybody because at some point in our lives, even like I said, even if we're maybe single, even that we're the younger, we can be a, a lead and an example unto other people. And so... My first verse is 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. It says, Be you followers of me, even as, as I also am a follower of Christ. And so that's the big deal with, with the whole part of this leading is we want to lead as we are following Christ. We want people to follow us as we follow Christ. And so we need to be following Christ so we can lead others to him. We need to be following Christ in the way that we lead. And so I'd like to look at some ways in which Christ led because Christ is our perfect example and he was definitely the leader and Lord of all. One of the things that Christ did, and we've already kind of talked about this, is he led by example. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21, it says, For even unto here, here, hereunto where ye are called, because Christ also suffered for us, have, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. And so he suffered for us, and he also, that, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. So we should follow in Christ's steps. So as a leader... Christ led by example. His life was an example unto us. And I've discussed this in every one of these sermons we've talked about that. And so if we are to be leaders, and one way we can all be leaders is we can set in a good example. In 1 Timothy chapter 11, it says, you know what, I left out chapter. First verse 11. These things command ye and teach, let no man despise you youth, but be thou an example of, for the believers in word and conversations and in charity and in spirit and in faith and in purity. And so here we read here in Timothy that it says that 
He tells Timothy that he should not be despised for his youth, but be an example of the believers. And so we're to be an example in the way that we behave and the way we work, conduct ourselves in word and conversations and in charity and in spirit and in faith and purity. So we have to be an example in our lives to be a good leader. To be an effective leader, you have to be an example. You know, you've always heard the old saying, you know, people say, do as I say and not as I do. And, you know, Christ chastised the Pharisees for that kind of approach. He told the people, do what they say, but not as they do. But he didn't also say very many nice things about the Pharisees. And if we're to be leaders, we are to be that same person. You know, as in the job situation there, you can't say, hey guys, I want you everybody to show up at 8 o'clock and then you stroll in at 8.30. They're not going to accept that. That's not going to be work. You can't say, hey guys, I want everybody to be courteous and friendly and then you be rude and aggressive. That's not going to work. They're not going to do that. The culture that the leaders set are picked up by the employees or people up by the followers. As a parent, you can't necessarily say, hey, kids, I want you all to go to church and church is important, yet you're missing a lot of services and you're missing a lot of church functions. Because the example that we set and the way that we live our lives speaks more volume than the words that come out of our mouths. And so if we're to be effective leaders... If we're going to effectively lead people to Christ, we're going to have to set the example. We're going to have to hold ourselves to the standard, even to a higher standard than that we expect for others. Now, as I talk about leaders, and that's one of the points I want to make out, if you're tempted in your mind to look at somebody else and go, hey, buddy, he's talking to you, you better be looking in the mirror. Because this lesson is to me, and as I give this lesson, we should take this lesson internally and bring it internally. Because if we start trying to apply these principles and, and use these as to, towards other people, we're looking at it the whole wrong way. This is a lesson for each one of us to internalize toward ourselves, something that we should apply to ourselves. And so we should be willing to set that example. And he set an example in several things. He set an example as a servant. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 24, it says, When there was also strife among them, which among them should be accounted the greatest? He said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, that they exercise authority upon them and called benefactors. But ye shall not be so. But he that is the greatest among you, let him be the, as the younger, and he that is the chief, that he there serve. For what is greater to serve, that he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth? He that sitteth at meat, but he but I am among you as a servant. And so Christ was a servant, and so they were arguing about who should be the greatest to be the kingdom. Did I skip one? I did skip one. Sorry about that. We're going to jump back to John 13, verse 3. I skipped the verse. But here he's telling them that they need to be servants. He says, because they were wanting to be servants. In John chapter 13, verse 3, it says, You call me Master and Lord, and ye... And you say, well, for, I, for I, so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye have also washed another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he greater than him that sent me. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. And so Christ set an example by washing their feet, and it was not so much that we should adopt feet washing and our custom of feet washing, but we should adopt a custom of service. Christ, who was the leader of all, Lord of all, and master of all, served his disciples. He served his disciples. He was a servant unto them. He was a servant unto them in all that they needed. And he was an example of service unto them. 
And so if you're to be a leader in your family, in your home, in your friend circle, or whatever situation you may be, we are to be leaders. We are to be servants. We are to look after the needs and the cares of the others. As we just read in Luke chapter 22 and verse 24, that's what he told them. If you are to be great in the kingdom of God, you are to be a servant. He says it's not the way with the Gentiles. It's not the way with the world. People take positions of leadership to benefit from them, to be benefactors, to get what they can get out of their employees, to get what they can get out of the people that are under them. But that's not to be the way within the church. The leaders are to be servants. And so we have to be a leader in the church. We are to be a servant to our fellow man and to the servants of those who follow us. The other example that Christ set was obedience. And you may think, well, Christ was Lord of all. Who could he be obedient to? Well, one, Christ was obedient until conflict with what his nature was with the, with the laws and the principles of the land. In Matthew chapter 22 and verse 17, it, he says, Tell us therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And he brought, and they brought unto him a penny and and he said unto them, Whose images and subscription is that? And they said unto him, Caesar's. Then hath he said unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar, and to God the things that are God's. There is a certain amount of respect and obedience due to the law of the land. And Jesus recognized that. Jesus sent that example by paying his taxes unto Caesar. Did Jesus really think Caesar's government was a good government? No. Did he think it was a a government that was spiritually right? No, because it was a wicked government. But Jesus submitted unto them and he paid his taxes. He did the things that were required to him to be a legal or a lawful citizen of that nation. And that is a commandment, an example he had set for us. Not only that, in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7, Jesus said, it says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him, that that were able to save him from death and was heard in, in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet he learned he, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Jesus was obedient to the word of God. Jesus was perfect in that matter, and even to the point that he suffered and died on the cross. He learned obedience through the things he suffered, and he set us an example of obedience. And we may not necessarily think about that because we think that Jesus is the lawgiver, and he was, but he was also obedient and perfect in that law. And if we are to be a leader, we have to be obedient to those that are above us. You know, if we're to be a leader, we have to set that example of obedience. You can't be a leader and break the laws. You can't be a leader and defy the government, whether it's a leader, an effective leader. You can't be in a leader in the church. You can't be an elder and be the kind of person. You can't be a deacon, be the kind of person who rebels against the governments as long as they're not violating what God teaches. You can't be a leader in your family and in your homes and not be obedient. A wife who talks bad about her husband to her children will have children who disrespect both of them. A teacher who talks bad about the principal to the class will have a kids in the class who disrespect both of them. You cannot be an effective leader without being an effective follower. You have to follow and you have to show obedience. You have to show that example of that. Because if we don't, if we don't, then we're undermining the whole structure and authority. We're telling them and setting an example that authority doesn't matter. And so you cannot be a leader without being an obedient follower. 
Romans chapter 13 and verse 1, it says, Let every soul be subject to higher powers, for there is no power but God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resistance the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to them damnation. For the rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Will thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. Now this was he's writing to the Romans. This was the church in Rome. This was the church in Rome, and this is the church of Rome, and the Roman church was a corrupt government. By today's standards, we would look at them and go, these people were corrupt. I mean, we complain about problems in politics in today's, in, in to our country, but in today's standards, these people were a lot more corrupt than our government. But what does he say? They are powers subject to higher powers. And Brother Lenny prayed for leaders of the world because he recognizes the fact that those leaders get their authority from God and they need our prayers. But it said, whoever resists these powers, resistance to ordinance of God. Because rulers are not a terror to good work. Generally, in general terms, the police force is there to keep the peace and protect. The laws of the local government are there to protect the peace and to protect we may not necessarily agree how they do it sometimes we may not necessarily think it's the right idea we may not think the speed limit should be 55 we may think it should be 80 because our cars can handle it but they've made these decisions to protect the people and we have to follow the laws we as christians have to be law followers you can't be rule breakers we can't be rebellious to governments we can't try to be those people who want to not follow the laws of God's teaching. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17, it says, Obey them which have rule over you and submit yourself, for they watch over your souls, that they that must give account, that they, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For it is unprofitable you pray for us, for we trust that we have good conscience in all things, willing to live honestly. On a spiritual side, elders are there to protect your soul. They're making decisions for what they think best is for your soul. In the family, your parents' children are making decisions that you, they think best or what's for your well-being and for your soul. Will they make mistakes? Yes, they're not God. But they're looking out for what is right. Be obedient to your parents. Be obedient to your parents' children because they're very important in the things that they're trying to do, the example they're trying to teach you. Do not be rebellious children because they are looking out for you as well. The other thing, if we're to be leaders like Christ, and this is why when it comes to Christian leaders, when it comes to spiritual leaders, you can safely put your faith in them is be Christ led out of love. In John chapter 15 and verse 13, it says, Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, and if you do whatsoever I command you, henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I call you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, ordained you, and you have... And you should go and bring forth fruit that your fruit should remain, that whosoever shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that you love one another. And so here in John, he tells them that no man loves him more than he lays down his life for his friends. Jesus loves us. He loved us as a leader. He loved us enough to give his life for us. And he set that example for love and leadership. 
And if we're to be an effective leader, whether whatever situation it may be, we need to show love. Even in the workplace, and I know sometimes that may be hard because some people in the workplace may be difficult to love, and I've had employees work for me, but we have to show love towards them. We have to show love to our family and our friends because that love is what's going to drive our leadership. It's going to make it real. It's going to allow us to make the decisions that are right. And so an effective leader loves the people that follow him. John chapter 13, verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I loved you, that you that ye also love one another. By this shall men, all men shall know that you are disciples, and if you love one to another. And so this is a commandment he gives to his disciples and to the church, that we should love one another as Christ loved us. And you know, that's definitely not just limited to people in leadership offices. That is a responsibility of all men, is to have that love one for another as Christ loved us. And Christ loved us enough to give his life for us. We should be willing to love one another to give up our time and our energy, our money, or whatever it may be, our talents and our focus, to help one another, because Christ helped us with the most. And so we have responsibility as leaders to show that love in us, to show that love for our fellow man, our fellow person. <clears throat> the other thing Christ did for his disciples I think I have a slide out of place. I apologize. In James chapter 5 and verse 13, it says, If any man afflicted, let him pray, and if any married, let him sing psalms. If any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And he that in the prayer of the faith, the prayer of the faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up as he were in the committed. And if he had committed sins, he shall be forgiven them. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was this man subject unto passions, like passions as we are, and we prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on earth for the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavens of rain and the earth brought forth fruit. Here he tells us that we should pray for the people. We should pray for one another. We should pray for each other and come to the elders and they will pray for you. It is the responsibility of leaders to pray for those people in who are their charge. Christ prayed for his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed for them as he was facing death. He prayed for them. We have an, we have, and he prayed for us. He prayed for you. We have a strong responsibility to pray for those people who are in our charge, to pray for them wisdom and pray for their guidance, pray for their unity like Christ did, to pray for their protection and, and care. And so it's very important as a leader that you pray for those people who are in your charge, that you pray for them. And likewise, it's very important as people who are in roles of following and submission that you pray for your leaders, as Brother Lenny did this morning, and I appreciate that. Because prayer is very useful and it's very powerful. With prayer, Elijah was able to stop the rain. And so prayer has a very strong power within our lives. The other thing Christ did is he taught. In Mark chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, He began to teach by the seaside, and there were gathered unto him a great multitude, so that they entered into a ship and sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables, and he said unto them in his doctrine, Christ taught many things. He taught constantly while he was during his missions. He taught, he taught, he taught. He taught both in large gatherings where he stood up on the side of the mountain and he preached out to the large multitudes and he taught privately to his disciples in one-on-one -on -one conversations. But he taught the people that were following him. 
And we should be teachers. We should be teaching. You know, on the job, we need to teach and train. I had a boss one time who did not like training. He had hired a new secretary, and he kept giving her assignments, and she didn't ever know how to do any of her job. And, and I felt sorry for her, so I kind of would kind of teach her because I was kind of like, oh, well, this is what he wants because he didn't think that you should teach, and I didn't really care for that guy too much much after that, and I don't work for him anymore. Because as a leader, you have a responsibility to teach. As the leader of the home, you have a responsibility to teach your children. As the leader of the church and the elders, we have a responsibility. In fact, it's a qualification of an elder to be able to teach. And so teaching is very important in being a leader. And if we are to lead others to Christ, we are to teach. And that doesn't mean you have to teach from the pulpit. But we have to be teaching and imparting the knowledge of Jesus Christ unto others. In Titus 2, chapter 2, he says, The aged man be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith and charity and patient. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becoming becometh holiness, not false accuser, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste keepers at home, good, obedient in their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. There's a place for everybody to teach. There's a place for the older women to teach the younger. There's a place for men to teach. And there's lots of verses that tell us to teach. I picked this one to show and make sure that the point is understood that women have a role and a responsibility to teach and to teach the young women and to teach the other people how to be good followers, how to be good wives. And so it's important that we realize that we have a responsibility as a leader to teach, to always be willing to teach, to always be willing to take and explain the gospel to people in our lives. <coughs> kind of similar but different is Christ corrected. You know, it's one thing to teach somebody. It's a little something different to correct, and Christ did both. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 15, And it came to pass when the time was come that they should be received up, he said, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messages before his face, and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face was as though he would, that he would go to Jerusalem. Thank you, son. because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, will thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them as Elias did? And he turned and rebuked them and said, Know ye not what manner of spirit you are? For the Son of Man cometh not near to destroy lives, but to save them. And they went away into another village. And so here he rebuked his disciples. He told them, don't you know what kind of spirit you are? Because they wanted to come and strike these people down with fire. You know, at one point he told Peter, get behind me, Satan. Some, at one point he told his disciples, oh, ye of little faith. Christ rebuked his disciples. He corrected them. And sometimes when it was needed with strong language, but it was always with love. It was always with, with patience and kindness as well. But it was with, sometimes it was strong language because they needed to hear a strong point. And so as a leader, you sometimes you have to correct. Sometimes you have to drive a point home, if you will. You have to deliver bad news. And we should always do that with love in our hearts. But sometimes you have to do beyond teaching. You go into correction and telling people uncomfortable truths, if you will. In James chapter 5 and verse 19, it says, Brethren, if any of you do err in the truth, 
and one convert him, let him know that he converteth the sinner of his error, and that he shall save a soul from death, and shall have a multitude of sins. And this is right there after the end of the verse we would read in James about praying one for another. But we see here that it's important if someone errs from the truth and we can convert them, if they're in error and we change them. And so teaching is letting somebody the path that we they may go, but correcting them is telling them, hey, you're on the wrong path and you need to get back on it. You need to change. You need to make a repentance in your life. You need to change the way you're doing. And it's a good thing. It says that he had converted the sinner from the error of his way. She shall save a soul from death and hide a multitude of sins. Converting, correcting somebody from walking in the wrong way, from doing things that are wrong, is an act of love. It's an act of compassion, and it's an act that's needed in the leader. First Titus 1 and verse 12, he says, One of themselves, even a prophet, said of their own, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true, therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. And so here he says, rebuke them sharply. You know, there's times when you're a parent, you have to rebuke your children sharply. There's times when you're a boss, you have to give employees things that are unpleasant truths and we tell them things that they didn't want to hear about themselves. And then nobody enjoys it. It says that all correction is grievous at a short time, but yields fruit unto righteousness. Correction is not pleasant, but there's times people get on a bad path and they need to be corrected. And as leaders of the family, as of the church, and in whatever situation you may be of a friend group, you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to correct those and get them on the right path. <clears throat> Another responsibility is of a leader. In John 10, verse 9, it says, I am the door by me. If any man enter it in, he shall be saved. But he that go in and out to find pasture, the thief cometh not but to forsteal and to kill and destroy. I come that they might have life and they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling, and not just the shepherd, his own sheep are not, seeth the wolf cometh, and leave the sheep, and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is a hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I, and I and am known of mine. And the Father knoweth me, and even so I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Christ was the good shepherd. He was the ultimate example of protection. Christ laid down his life to protect us from the judgment that was due to us. He stood in the way of the wolf. He stood in the way of the devil and he saved us from our sins and he saved us from the destruction of death. He taught us the right way. And as a leader, you have a responsibility to protect. You know, as fathers, I think that protection instinct is really natural. We do anything, stand in any threat from our children. I think moms have the same way. You hear the term mama bear, which sometimes can be toxic, but... We have responsibility as parents to protect our children. We feel that naturally. At the job site, a good leader will protect his employees. He will not throw them under the bus, if you will, or she will not throw them under the bus. There's been times when I've had employees make mistakes, and they were honest mistakes, and I did not go, hey, that was his fault. I just said, okay, we'll fix it. There's times when we appreciate leaders who do that. We've had bosses that will, and we have bosses that won't. We understand the value of that. As leaders, we have to be willing to protect. That was actually one of the rules and qualifications and the things of an elder is to protect. In First Titus, in Titus chapter 1 and verse 9, it says, Holding fast the faithful word that he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine to exhort and convince the gainsayers, for they are unruly and vain talkers, deceivers, 
especially those of the circumstances. He had to be able to convince or confront the gainsayers. You have to be able to handle those people. As a leader, we have to be willing to protect against those who would lead others astray. We have to be able to stand and do those things. And so if we're to be leaders, we have to be able to protect. But to protect, we have to have knowledge of God's word. We have to have an understanding in that. So we have a need to study. We have the need to understand. And that comes with teaching as well. But as a leader, Christ sacrificed for those in his charge. In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 1, and this is going to be a little bit longer reading, and I know you think, well, you've already had some long readings, and this is going to be even longer. But it's such a wonderful, wonderful portrait of what Christ has done for us. He says, Who hath believed our report, and whom, and to whom is an arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and a root out of dry ground. He hath no form or comeliness, and we... And we shall see him, there is no beauty, and that we should desire him. He is despised, and he rejected a man, a man of sorrows, and acquaintance with grief. And he hid as our words, our face from him, and we despised. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We did esteem him, yet we did esteem him. We stricken him, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With the stripes we are healed. All we, all we like sheep have gone astray and have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He, brought, he was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before the shears dumb, he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and in judgment who shall declare his generation, for he was cut out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. And yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, and he had put him to grief. And when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. And he shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous service justify many, <coughs> while he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because though he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered within the treasures, he bears the sin of many, and made intercessions for the transgressors. Our Lord sacrificed himself for us. We had already talked about that before, about he gave his life for him. Because of my sin, he was punished upon the cross. Because of my sin, he made himself my sin and took that punishment for me. He did the same for you and he did the same for all of his followers. He set us an example of how we should give and sacrifice of ourselves. He ultimately gave everything to us that he could have a relationship with us. The Bible says while we were yet enemies of Christ, he did sacrifice for himself. He buried our transgressions. He buried our wrongdoings. He sacrificed himself to heal us. We are healed by his stripes. We are healed by his wounds. If we are to be a leader, we are to sacrifice ourselves. We are to give of our time. We are to give of our energy. We are to put others' wants, others' needs above our own. We should look for their well-being before we look to our own wants. 
is a responsibility that we have. It's a responsibility that I think comes natural to mothers. We think about all that a mother endures for her child and how willingly she will give of her time, she will give of her energy, she will give of her food. I remember as a teenage boy, it was, not, it was pretty common for my mom to share her meal with me. I guess it's a habit she still has. We can't go out to eat with her without giving her food off of her plate, even though I don't need it. But we are to be leaders, and we are to be members of Christ's body. We are willing to sacrifice ourselves for the others. That's what he said when we talked about in his love. He said, this commandment I give unto you, that you love your one another as I have loved you, so the world will know that you are mine. You want the world to know that we are Christians? Let's love ourselves like Christ loved us. Let's love ourselves. Let's, let's love each other. Sorry, I said ourselves. Let's love each other more than we love ourselves. Let's love our fellow Christian more than we love ourselves. Let's put them and their needs number one on our list because that's following God. That's being the kind of person God would have us to be. It must hit my button. One too many times. First Corinthians chapter six and verse four. He says, "Then if your judgment of the things pertaining to this life set them to judge who are esteemed in the church, I speak to your shame. It is so that there is not a wise man among you that there not be one that shall be judged between the brethren. But brother, go into the law. But brother, that before the unbelievers, now there are utterly a fault among you because you go to the law one another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded?" Nay, you do wrong and defraud, and that, and that your brethren. Here in Corinthians, he was very upset with the Corinthians there because they were taking each other to court and suing one another. And he says, don't you have people to judge you? But he also says, and more importantly, he says, why don't you just take the fault? Why don't you just take the wrongdoing? Why don't you be defrauded? Why don't you just take the wrong? Why don't you just let them have the advantage for the glory of Christ? When we do that, when we give up of ourselves to our fellow Christians, when we don't necessarily get our way, when we don't come out with the best end of the deal, when we suffer loss for our fellow Christians, we're doing so to glorify God. Because to, to fight and to seek to win the case, if you will, to make sure we get what's directly due, to make sure we get our way, we're bringing shame unto God. When we, if we were to take and sue a fellow brethren of Christ, we would take shame unto God. When we go outside the church to seek judgment in matters, we take shame unto God. And so it's very important, brethren, that when it comes to the church, if it comes to making things of the church, when we have a choice of do we take the wrong or do we seek outside judgment against our fellow Christians, we are definitely to take the wrong because it is shameful to go outside the church with problems and issues. It's important we remember this. And we would do that because of Christ's sacrifice. Because He loved us enough to sacrifice for us. And that's kind of the end point I want us to remember and think about as we close out our sermon. Is that Christ loved us enough to sacrifice us. I want to take this opportunity, as I gave this lesson on leadership, to express some thoughts. One of the thoughts is, is Christ set a perfect example, and no man is going to live up to that. And I realize that. But I also want to know that as been selected as your elder, I'm here for you. Day and night, whenever. If you have a problem, if you have something you need to see somebody about, I'm here for you. 
If you don't have my number, I can give it to you. But I'm here for you. And I want you to know that. I want you to feel that love that I have for each and every one of you here today. Because I feel it. I have it. It's a responsibility I have. It's a feeling and love I had before I received that responsibility. And I want you to know that I'm here for you. We also want to offer an invitation. An invitation for those who have not obeyed the gospel. We would like for you to come forward and obey the gospel and become Christ's family to obtain that salvation, to obtain that healing we talked about. Because if you're not obeyed the gospel, you're not truly a follower of Christ. If you've not obtained the gospel, you are that lost sheep. You're not in the care of the shepherd. And so we want to offer that invitation for you. We also have talked about the value and the importance of prayer. And we want to offer that invitation as well that we come forward and we'll be glad to pray for you.